Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you've been listening to the show and enjoying it and want to leave a review for the show, head on over to Apple Podcast. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. Speaking of five-star reviews and let me know what you think, this shout-out goes to GuitarGuy459 who says, Preparing me for service like nothing else. Five stars. Tyler, thanks so much for making this podcast. I've recently been accepted to serve in Zambia from 2020 to 2022, and I've had a lot of ups and downs of how I feel about going since it's such a huge commitment. After finding your podcast, I feel so much more excited and committed to going and serving. I can't wait to have my own Peace Corps story. I highly recommend this to anyone interested in Peace Corps, or if you just want to hear some amazing stories from around the world. I feel this has been the most helpful and informative way to know what I'm getting myself into. I'm thrilled. Well, Guitar Guy, thank you for leaving a review, and I'm excited for you. I've got several friends that served in Zambia, and they absolutely loved it. On this week's episode of the podcast, I talked to Sherelle Arents, who is currently serving, currently serving in Mongolia. We chat live from her yurt. Without further ado, here is her Peace Corps story. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. My name is Sherelle Arons, and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey, Sherelle, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I I am doing well, and excited to talk to you because, uh, well, as as I would call it, a a yurt, because uh, we, we were just videoed uh, chatting before we getting into the interview uh you call it a gare but you are calling me from mongolia which i think is awesome yes sir uh well i I guess maybe this is uh, jumping the gun but i didn't even ask you is there is there a difference between a yurt and a gare or is it just uh linguistic just a different name i think it's just a linguistic difference um usually when you hear the I don't know where the word yurt came from, but no, in Mongolia, it's called a gare. Okay. All right. Well, G-E-R, now that we, gare. Well, now that we, we got that uh, out of the way, uh, yeah, welcome <laughs> welcome to the show. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you coming from in the United States? What were you doing before uh, you uh, flew off to Mongolia? So I was born and raised in Montana. I grew up on a farm. Um, We did not have cows. A lot of people, when they hear that I grew up on a farm, they ask me, did you have cows? And so I explained to them that, no, we farmers grow stuff. Um, The ranchers are the ones with the cattle and the sheep and whatnot. (laughs) But so, yeah, I grew up on a farm up in northern Montana in a really tiny town. People ask me, how tiny is it? I tell them, 
we don't have street lights. We have stop signs. Um, we had a McDonald's, but it shut down like, I don't know, 16 years ago and hasn't been reopened. So yeah, pretty small. Uh, um, well, wow. Uh, so I, I guess uh, jumping into Peace Corps wasn't that different. Not really. <laughs> well, it was, but and it was, yeah. I mean, I chose Mongolia because it reminded me so much of you know, Montana, when I saw pictures or saw videos of Mongolia, I thought, man, that just reminds me so much of home. Mm-hmm. And my interest was peaked. And yeah, I was fortunate enough to come here. Okay. And so you joined under the, the new system where you applied specifically to Mongolia to, to serve as a volunteer. And yeah, as you were saying it too, I was just thinking, it's like, well, I've seen photos of Mongolia and I've been to, to northern Montana. And like, wow, that's the, you, those are pretty similar places there. Uh, but what was, what was the other yeah. reasons for, for just wanting to join the Peace Corps in general? So, um, joining the Peace Corps or applying to the Peace Corps, at least, um, people had always, well, especially my mother had always, you know, encouraged me to try it. My mother would say, hey, you should join the Peace Corps because, um, in college I majored in cultural anthropology. And mm-hmm. if you don't know what the, um, I mean, most people know it if they're interested in things like Peace Corps or international development, but anthropology is the study of human beings, and there's different branches. There's the archaeologists who study, like, the past, and physical anthropologists who dig up, you know, bones of our ancestors. And cultural anthropologists are interested mostly in, you know, the cultural aspects, why people do the things they do based on their environments and how they're raised. Um, and so I've always been interested in different cultures, wanting to go different places and and in a small tiny town mostly i suppose we just really knew about the peace corps and so people were always saying you should join peace corps you should join peace corps but for me joining peace corps was oh i don't know how to describe it so i actually tried to join peace corps in 2015 which was the year before i graduated college mm-hmm. but I had no skill set whatsoever. I didn't really want to teach. I wasn't interested in teaching at all. And that was really all that I would have been able to do. And because of my reluctance there, I don't, I think that's why I was rejected. And I'm actually glad that I was rejected at that point because after leaving college, I was able to finally get a job in the real world, um, become more independent and finally gain an actual skill set that would that prepared me to do this. Well, I you might also be one of the first people that I've at least talked to on the podcast that applied to the Peace Corps, was rejected, and then kind of went back and said, Okay, well let me bolster my resume, let me get my head in the in the right place, because as you said, maybe they were picking up a little bit that uh, you weren't uh, f- fully, fully in and on board with being a, a, a teacher, at least at that time. Yeah. Uh, so, so kudos, kudos to you for, for going back and continuing to pursue that, because I know I get a, a lot of comments and people saying, like, why is it so hard to get in? I got rejected. And like, well, uh, you can apply again, and you can keep trying. Uh, so awesome yeah. that, that you push forward uh, and eventually were accepted to be a volunteer. Well, thank you. 
Yeah. And I mean, I I'm glad we, I, I'm glad I applied again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I started the application, uh, three, three different times and on my own, I, I, oh, uh, wow. yeah, I kicked myself out of, out of the running, uh, just for my own self. Cause I was sort of the same that I wasn't, didn't feel that I was mentally ready. Didn't have a good reason for joining the Peace Corps. It was kind of those, well, I don't have anything else going on <laughs> and this sounds fun, uh, which I, I wouldn't recommend uh, for for people uh, being interested in the Peace Corps, but now you you are a teacher. You're uh, an English co-teacher, and what made you finally decide that you were going to apply and you were going to teach? Well, so after I left college, um, I got a job at a daycare, and it was in the town where I went to school, which is. Missoula it's bigger than the town where I grew up um and in the last year when I had started working at the daycare and it was just a regular run-of-the-mill working class you know daycare and Missoula had been getting um refugees from a multitude of countries recently and they were coming from Ethiopia from the Congo uh from the Middle East like Syria and Iraq. It was, and it was fascinating to me. I remember going to daycare and my boss says, okay, we're getting two new little kids. Um, they're from the Congo. And we all said, what? <laughs> Cause if you've been to Montana, Montana is white. Yep. I mean, there's, I grew up with mostly, uh, largest ethnic group I grew up with was native Americans. First time I saw somebody who was black, I was probably eight years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so at this little tiny daycare, because Missoula is still a pretty small, homogenous town, even though it's the most ethnically diverse town in Montana, I believe. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so I was fascinated being an anthropology major. Um, I thought it was cool. Um, most of my co-workers were on board with you know bring, bringing refugees into Montana, so that was great, good atmosphere, and... These two little kids came in not speaking any English, and the adventure began. We started getting kids from other countries, and it was fun. And we had to help them with their English. I mean, they're little kids, and they mostly learned, you know, in a matter of months from the other kids at the daycare and from older siblings who were, you know, in the school system who really needed to start learning English. Um... But yeah, that's where my interest was peaked. And after about a year and a half working, I'm on the Peace Corps website just oh, wondering, oh, what do they got here? Because I had been thinking about maybe tutoring English and possibly going overseas. I don't know if that I was seriously think considering it, though, because of, you know, money. You need money to travel and whatnot. But... I'm looking on there and I'm thinking, do they have anything in Mongolia? Because I'd always had my heart set on Mongolia. And lo and behold, there's co English co-teacher, Mongolia, leaving summer 2018. And this was October, no, it was the end of September 2017. And it was the last day for this particular application. And I thought, oh my god. I better get on this. So I applied in a matter of a couple of hours, sent it in, I don't know, 
maybe 10 o'clock p.m. before midnight, and my application process began. <laughs> wow, what perfect timing and circumstances and a lot of things just really lining up from uh, your experiences that you had, piquing your interest and really preparing you for understanding English teaching and education and having this exposure to a wide range of diverse backgrounds. Uh, so that's, that's just absolutely perfect. Yeah, I thought it was. I mean, it was, wow, last day. I mean, it sounded like a pretty good position for me. You know, teaching with another teacher, I thought was definitely a better idea than me teaching alone. So I thought, all right, let's do it now mm -hmm. or never. And so you you spoke a little bit about the the lack of diversity from where you were coming from in the United States, but something that that comes up, at least I've seen coming up within the Peace Corps community, is the the lack of diversity in in volunteers. And you're yeah. you're white, you're white, but I also I think that something yep. that get that gets missed is the lack of diversity from the United States from small towns, middle America, socioeconomic levels, because when I was a volunteer, I was one of the few volunteers that didn't come from, you know, East Coast or West Coast. I came from Kentucky. Yes. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. And, and you came from a, a small town in Montana. So how, how have you been able to navigate that even amongst the, the fellow volunteers who probably grew up in a very, very different lifestyle and experience from you? That is a great question because one of the things that I started um, worrying about and really thinking about that I didn't like when I first came to Mongolia and started getting to know the other volunteers was that I was having culture shock among my own people, among other Americans, almost more so, almost, almost more so than I was having with the Mongolians I was around. And that was very jarring, and I didn't like it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so I would say most of the volunteers in my cohort, I love them to death, um, West Coast, East Coast, um, a lot of them are from the South. We had people from Louisiana, the Carolinas, it's the Midwest. I would say it was more diverse than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. But it was just me and one other girl from Montana. Um, and I learned later on that this was mostly me worrying too much. But I, worry, I thought, man, these people, they go to more prestigious colleges than I did. They go to, they've had more experience traveling because several of them had done volunteer work abroad. Several of them have lived abroad. Some of them were born in different countries. I was intimidated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it can definitely be intimidating. And then, as you said, feeling that you're having a, a little bit of culture shock, even within your your own group of uh, fellow volunteers, you tend to think, oh, we're, we're all Americans. But then you quickly realize, no, America is a very diverse place. <laughs> uh, and I... It, people from from all over and i was experiencing a, a little bit of that myself but as you said you end up loving uh, your your fellow volunteers because no one understands you better than they do 
Yes. Yes. And I came to realize that they found probably found me as different as I found some of them different. Mm-hmm. And all it took was having a having actual conversations with my fellow volunteers and that especially volunteers that I didn't usually hang out with or talk to just stopping outside the the hostel that we usually stay at in the um capital because there's one particular hostel in Olambatar our capital city that volunteers like to stay at and just hanging out with some of them outside the door while we're waiting for our usual friends to show up. I mean, those were really enlightening conversations. Mm-hmm. And now getting into your service, you're an, an English co-teacher. What, do, what does a school in Mongolia look like? So um, I am in a particularly small um, town. They're called Soms. The small towns in Mongolia are called Soms. And mine is very small. There's only about a few hundred, maybe 300 people living here. So my school is very small. Uh, We've got about, how many students we have? Maybe just over 100 students and 15 teachers. Most um, of the volunteers in my cohort, they have bigger schools. Not all of them, but I would say most of them. Um, One particular thing about my village my soul is that my school only goes up to the ninth grade and after that the students who actually live here um have to go to another town and they have to stay in the dormitories okay and with english Mm -hmm. co-teaching do you have a kind of standard work day full day of work where you're coming in at nine o'clock starting your teaching and then you leave at four or five what's the day-to-day pace of life for you it's very interesting here so um school starts at nine o'clock um so i'll usually get there nine o'clock um and we have a block system so one hour no yeah one hour i might be teaching fifth grade then i might teach seventh or eighth or whatever grade after that they start learning english in the fifth grade and then i might have an hour off if you know we don't have any english scheduled for that hour because i only have there's only one foreign language teacher at my school most schools will have at least two but because we're so small there's just the one she teaches both english and russian so she usually has a full day of russian and english um and then I'll have lunch usually around, yeah, lunch is at 11.10 to 11.30. So we get 20 minutes to scarf down whatever is being served to the teachers. And interestingly enough, the students don't have lunch at school. What they do is they have, the younger students will have a tea break. And the older students will leave the school for 20 minutes, go to the store and get a snack run around, do whatever they're going to do. While the students who are, I'd say, fifth to first grade, they go to the kitchen and they get tea mugs and they drink milk tea and they have some crackers or some cookies. And the teachers will be in the teacher's lounge eating lunch 
and then they go back to class. Okay. And yeah. do you live pretty close to the school or like on the on the campus? I know there are some teachers that kind of live almost in the same compound or do you live outside? I live outside. I live about, like I said, it's small here. So I'm about a 10 minute walk from the school. Okay. And I'm I assuming- live in a. Yes. I live. I live in it, what's called a hasha, which is literally, that means yard. So it's basically a big fenced-in yard. And then there's the gear that I live in. And it's owned by uh, the family that owns this hasha. And they live in their gear a couple yards from me. Okay. And for people that may have not spent time in northern Montana or looking at pictures <laughs> of of Mongolia, I, I, miss, I mean, I'm picturing kind of just green grasslands, slightly rolling hills, maybe mountains off in the distance, snow capped. What does your what does your oh, community look like? Oh, I'm in the Gobi Desert, <laughs> but yeah, so it's the northern Gobi Desert. Even though, ironically, I live in. I live in in, in Omangovi, which means literally the southern Gobi. So that's the <laughs> province I live in. So I'm north of China, essentially. Mm-hmm. But I say northern Gobi because in the spring and in the summer, it is, it's it's pretty green here. But once you get south of um, these hills that are just south of my Somme where I live, then you'll start getting really rough ground and eventually you'll hit some sand dunes. So, so not the, not the maybe traditional picturesque of what people think of Mongolia. Uh, I'm guessing you're in camel country. Yes, I am. Uh, How do you, how do you feel about camels? I like camels. They're my new favorite animal. Actually. I remember first time I saw camels, I was driving to my site after swearing in a couple days later and I see camels and it they look like just brown lumps in the distance. You can't really tell what they are at first. And then they slowed down and they said, look, Time, Time, camels, camels, because Time means camel in Mongolian. And I'm like, oh my God, they were tall. And I knew camels were tall, but I'd never seen one. And they were huge, and I was impressed. Uh, they they are big animals. I have a probably an undeserved prejudice against camels because I was spit on really? by by a camel when I was at the zoo, and I think it was like six or seven years old. <laughs> so uh, I have a disdain for them that is probably not warranted. Uh, but uh, we, we we did have them in Burkina Faso as well, that they would come through these uh, nomadic herders and traders on, on top of uh, the camels. So they are they are pretty cool when you when you do see them. It's not a not an everyday sight here in the U.S. No, definitely not. Mm-hmm. And what are some of your favorite memories thus far of your Peace Corps service? You're still in it. You're you're making memories every single day. But what what so far have been some of the, the, the most favorite memories or times and experiences during your service? 
Well, I would say aside from seeing camels, anytime I see a camel, I'm happy. I don't, I just like them. They're cool. But uh, this past year, before the end of last school year, um, I was teaching fifth grade, the which is their first year of learning English. And there's a particular little boy in that class. And I was, he was, he's always been kind of funny. I don't know if he just, if he's got ADHD or what, it doesn't matter. He's, he's funny, but he's always got this big, he's got this cute round face and he's missing half the teeth on top of his mouth. And so when he smiles, it's like a cute little jack-o'-lantern. And anyway, he, he always struggled with English and it always kind of broke my heart because he's such a nice boy. And he tries really hard, but teachers can be kind of harsh in Mongolia. And so it was always kind of hard for me to see um, other students or my CP not really paying enough attention to him to help him. And at this one particular lesson, um, I was having students come up to the board, whether they really wanted to or not. I was volunteering all the students that day. And... I had him come up and he said one really simple word correctly. And so I decided I'm going to have him stay up here and do a couple other words um, to try and get him to pay more attention today because he often, you know, doesn't really pay attention. And I don't know if it was the subject matter that piqued his interest, but he was getting it that day. And I remember just feeling so proud of this little boy. And I guess it was the first time I'd really felt, you know, pride in one of my students. And even though, you know, he's fifth grade, the subject matter is really simple and easy to teach. It was still a really nice, you know, thing to see. And what really made it great was when my CP, my the teacher came in because I had been teaching by myself for the first few minutes or the first 20 minutes of class. And she came in and she started, you know, drilling the students in a similar manner to having them come up to the board and having them repeat words and point things out and say the words. And I pointed at the little boy and said, come up here, come up here, come up here. And he didn't really want to come up again. And my CP would turn to me and say, he, he can't do it. He doesn't want to, but eventually I got him to come up and she was pleasantly surprised at how well he was doing that day. And so the whole day was just, it was great just seeing how well he was able to do and seeing my CP look at him in a different light, seeing that he, you know, he could do it and that he does have the skills. Uh, that is a, is a great memory. And thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that with us that those, those times when we feel that we're, we're finally maybe a- accomplishing something and that we're the work that we're doing is, is good and we're having a positive impact. Those are always stories that, that stick with us. Yeah, they're good days. I remember any other memory that I have that's good is anytime I'm around animals. I mean, it's Mongolia. A lot of people around this area are herders, and a lot of them are nomadic herders. And so there's animals everywhere. And I always love it when they ask me, Do you want to come milk some goats? I love milking animals. It sounds weird, I'm sure, but it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> uh, 
I yeah. hey, I I totally get it. Maybe other people listening to the the <laughs> podcast don't get it, uh, but I definitely understand <laughs> understand you there. I always love when I was around the animals and and just helping out. Uh, we didn't milk too much um, in Burkina. They're not big uh, dairy consumers uh, like I hear they are in Mongolia. Uh, usually, it's just tending to oh, them yeah. and then uh, you know being there at the end of life when they're being slaughtered. Yeah, we see a lot of that here too. Mm-hmm. And well, I, you know, Peace Corps is difficult, uh, as you definitely know. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything yes, that I you? Ha- yeah, is there anything that you've struggled with as a volunteer? Um, I would say isolation was worse than I expected it to be. Um, I've always been a pretty introverted person, but. Mongolia really has challenged that and being a volunteer and all that comes with it as well. Mm-hmm. And in what ways have you tried to overcome that isolation or what kind of coping strategies have you found that have been successful? Because I, I think a lot of people don't realize that that's something that they're going to struggle with. Uh, that's something that I struggled with as well. And at least when you come back, you'll, you know, people will ask you, oh, how did you, you live out there all, all alone or, or, you know, in the, in this environment, people are always shocked that I lived for two years without electricity or running water and they couldn't believe how hard that would be. And I was like, that was the easy part. Um, yeah. <laughs> like that didn't bother me. It was feeling a- alone and not speaking my, my native language and having, uh, sort of the, conveniences and comforts of home that that's what was hard so how have you figured out different ways to to cope i'll be honest it's still it still gets me quite a bit but i learned the hard way that i have to kind of force myself to interact with other people whether it's uh walking over to my host family's gare and just hanging out with them or calling up another volunteer. And because of how introverted I am, and because I also have a very unfortunate lazy streak, um, I do kind of have to force myself to recognize when I'm getting a, getting you know cabin fever and when I'm starting to go a little stir-crazy from not really being able to have a full-on conversation. You know, because in English, I'm the only person in this psalm other than maybe the other English teacher who can speak English. And so that does get kind of hard, not being able to have like daily, you know, silly conversations about whatever funny or weird subject. Mm-hmm. And would you say that you've maybe struggled with maybe not, you know, clinically depression, uh, a bad, Yeah, just just sort of that mental health aspect of of being a volunteer. Yeah, so depression, unfortunately, has been an issue for me. It started uh, during PST. Um, I was having, I hate saying it, but yeah, I was having basically meltdowns. I was having almost at least weekly, if not daily, crying sessions. And I couldn't stand it. And when um, our PCMO 
were doing their rounds um, throughout the training sites and talking to Peace Corps volunteers, um, you know, I had, I think I must have either called them or emailed them saying what was going on and what I was feeling. And they took me aside and they had me fill out like, you know, depression questionnaire to try to gauge, you know, was I depressed? Was I just, what was going on? And I did have, they knew I had anxiety already. I have, you know, medication for that. And, uh, turns out that, yeah, I was showing signs of depression and that sucked, but Hey, we finally got to the bottom of the problem, but that was just PST. That was just the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, depression really set in during winter I mean, winter in Mongolia is not a joke. And I'm from Montana, so I'm used to that, used to cold. But Mongolia is like, it's like Montana on steroids. I mean, it's essentially <laughs> Siberia almost. Mm -hmm. And so I was getting used to making myself get up at 3 a.m. at 3 a.m. and restarting my fire. Um, and if I didn't, I would wake up, you know, curled in a fetal position under all my blankets with my back and my joints sore um and not to mention the isolation that I've already spoken about and the other thing that they always tell you do not compare yourself to other volunteers <laughs> and for me that was just too easy to do mm -hmm. and I felt that I wasn't a good volunteer I felt like I wasn't doing anything I wasn't making any progress um I was con telling myself that my CP probably didn't think I was that great, even though they were nice to me all the time. And yeah, it didn't take long for me to go into a depressive spell. But I was, luckily I wasn't, it wasn't depression to the point where I was ever suicidal or wanting to injure myself. And I was aware of that. So, oh, what did I do? Yeah, so I emailed up the PCMO and said, in one sentence, I think I'm depressed. And the next day, they called me up, asked me how I was feeling and whatnot, and said, all right, we're going to get you a Skype interview with um, the, our psychiatrist in D.C., and that's what they did. And so that journey began. Mm -hmm. uh well one first off thank you thank you for sharing that and being willing to share about that because sometimes i'm i'm a little worried with this podcast because i know that a lot of current volunteers listen to the podcast and most of the people who come on yeah. are return volunteers and Return volunteers tend to look back uh, with rose-colored glasses. So they talk about all the good things that happen, all their successes. And I worry that there's going to be the volunteers that are in, in village that their, their, their failures, which happen daily as volunteers, like oh, it's yes. that they're going to be second guessing themselves that, man, I'm just listening to week after week of these volunteers who are rock stars and I feel like I'm failing every minute. Uh, so yeah, it's, Peace Corps, like you fail constantly. I, but I don't, I don't, after the fact, I don't remember most of my failures. You remember all the good stuff. Uh, but one, thank yeah. you for sharing that because that, that comparison thing happens. And, uh, 
also just sharing that kind of depression and mental health, it exists in the Peace Corps. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's life. Well, it's it's life, but sometimes, I don't know, if people don't, someone who's never experienced this, so I feel, I feel kind of bad saying this, um, but before going into the Peace Corps, I never really had any issues with mental health, and anybody that I sort of saw that maybe had depression, not having ever experienced it myself, I kind of just thought, you know, like, okay, come on. Like, yeah, sometimes life is hard, everybody struggles, but like, you know, pick yourself up, uh, you know, buck up and, you know, you deal with it. That's, you know, that's, yep. that's how you, that's how you deal with life. And then I experienced <laughs> depression in the Peace Corps. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, oh, it's not that easy. Um, <laughs> you, you can't just say, you know, I'm going to barrel through this. Like you are just stripped down to your core and you don't know how to function. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, for anybody who has never experienced it, um, it's real and it's hard. But uh, thank- yep. thankfully, the, the Peace Corps does help, and hope you know that you were able to to start that process with talking to someone back in Washington. I did the same thing actually um, for a number of weeks talking to somebody. Um, so there are resources. Uh, so yeah, thank you all around for for sharing. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, for me before Peace Corps, it was the opposite story. I had anxiety and. Throughout, you know, college, I was very vocal about it and very proactive in researching it and reading all about it. And by the time um, I'd graduated and right before I joined Peace Corps, you know, I I thought I had it whipped. I thought I got great medication. I've been through the counseling. I'm doing great. I don't need to worry about this too much anymore. I've grown with it. Um, and then I you know, come to Mongolia and it's a totally different story. And for me, part of what made my depression all the more worse was that I wasn't engaging in that proactiveness I'd had when I was diagnosed with anxiety. I was tired of talking about things like mental health. I felt that people don't want to hear it as much as I thought they did. But lo and behold, you know, you go to another training and it turns out during an open discussion that other volunteers are having issues that they want to talk about. And I realized that, no, it's it's better to just talk about it, even if other people don't want to hear it. Well, if some people don't want to hear it, there are other people who do want to hear it, because I've always known that for me, it's always reassuring to hear another person talk about things. Because inevitably, I'm going to relate to at least one thing that they say. So I, I decided that if one thing that I say about my struggle with my mental health here um, can help anybody else, then that's good. That's good for me. It's good for them. It's good all around. Mm-hmm. And something else that, that you just said that got me thinking, uh, you, you had... Um, mental health issues before going into Peace Corps, uh, anxiety, but you had dealt with it, you were on medication, and Peace Corps has this stance, um, headquarters has this stance that if you've had any change in your medication in the past year leading up to Peace Corps, or if you've had maybe a a change in your, your psychological state, let's say you sought out counseling in the past year, that's often a, a red flag for Peace Corps. 
And a lot of people get really angry about that, that that shouldn't disqualify you from from being a volunteer. And I I fall on both sides of it um, that, you know, yeah. y- yes, that um, it necessarily shouldn't be. But I do understand where Peace Corps is coming from, because as, as you're experiencing, Peace Corps is really mentally difficult. And it is. Yes. And. Yeah, I told it, myself when I reached out to get counseling. I'm, I'm so sorry. I just interrupted you again. No, this is your this is your podcast. Take it away. Oh, it's my okay. Well, I remember when I reached out and said I think I might be depressed. I knew that um, if they decide that they're going to send me home, I understand why. I'm not going to like it. I don't want to leave, even though I'm depressed. Um, yeah, I would have understood. Wouldn't have wanted to do it, but I would have understood where they were coming from if they had wa- decided to send me home. So I agree mm-hmm. with you. I fall. I do feel like I fall on both sides of the argument. Yeah, it's 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 nuanced. You know, you you want to to try to show that that you can do it, and you know, it, Peace Corps should be open to people um, who have have struggled with mental health. But at the same time, they need to make sure that they're not putting anybody in a situation uh, where they could as you know become in a depressive state where they may harm themselves or may um, become a, a danger to themselves and it's it's upon them to make sure that volunteers are safe yeah and it's it's serious I mean certainly not to scare anybody off of Peace Corps you know who's listening to this and thinking about joining but you know it's it gets tough. It's really, it's like life outside of Peace Corps, but different. I mean, your life is still going to go on. You're still going to feel things and think things. And just like regular life, sometimes those things aren't going to be good and you need to take care of them. Yeah. And Peace Corps staff, they they know that. Yeah. Peace Corps, Peace Corps amplifies everything. The, the lows yeah. are f- way, 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 way lower than they are in the United States. But man, so are the highs. They are so much higher. Like when, when you have a win, oh, man, you, you win. You do. You really do. Well, uh, I guess l- let's, let's now shift back into that, that, that winning side, some of the, the positive yeah. stuff about, uh, <laughs> about your service. Uh, you know, we, we've explored, explored the, the negative side, which I always love doing and I feel is important, even if we do scare off, scare off some potential volunteers. Um, I'm personally okay with that because Peace Corps isn't for everybody. Uh, but what do you, what do you think you're going to miss about your, your time in Mongolia? You still, you, you're, you're not done yet. Um, uh, but what are some of the things that you're, already feeling that you might miss as being a volunteer or just being someone living in Mongolia? Um, as a volunteer, I know I'm going to miss just, just being a part of the Peace Corps. I mean, when I first joined and came to Mongolia and we were going through the steps, um, I loved the, I don't really know how to describe it. I just love being a part of this whole group. It's hard for me to explain because I've never been a part of something like this. But I love that I'm... I love talking to staff. I love talking to my cohort, especially during the trainings. 
I mean, if you were to ask me, would you rather talk to um, volunteers over the phone on a regular day or talk to a bunch of them during, you know, MST, IST, during a training, I'd probably choose the training. I just, I love going to those, (laughs) I love going to trainings and interacting with the staff and the other volunteers and just figuring out what's going on, you know, what's going on with the people running this whole shindig. Mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely get that. No, I, I, I get it that it's the, the sense of being part of something that is at, at its core so pure that, you know, that the mission of the Peace Corps is to improve the lives of the, the people that you're serving. That's, you know, goal, goal one and to, to empower them and give them the skills. And like, that's, that's kind of awesome that that's what you're doing and that's everybody around you is doing the same thing. Even people at headquarters, you know, they're supporting you and support staff to make sure that that happens. And it's, yeah, a lot of times before Peace Corps, you rarely experience being part of an organization that is focused on doing something that is one so good, but also so easy to distill into like, okay, what, what are you trying to do here? So it's it's nice to be part of something yeah. that is so purposeful. Yeah, and I think I just loved that clarity. Like I said, I've never been a part of, you know, a group like this at all. So I just loved that, sh- the type of structure they had, which people usually say that Peace Corps is very unstructured, which is kind of true. But I love the clarity of what we're here to do and what they want from us and what we want from them and why we're here. Mhm. And then Mongolia. So that's the you know the aspect of what you're going to miss about Peace Corps. What are you going to miss about Mongolia? Um I could say the camels, but I've mentioned them twice, I think <laughs> already. <laughs> hey, if you're going to miss the camels, I've actually seen camels as often. Okay. Well, if you're going to miss the camels, that's fine. That's an acceptable answer. Yeah. But I think oh what am I going to miss? I know you said I'm still here making memories, so I'm not sure what I'm going to miss exactly about living in Mongolia. Other than just being in Mongolia. It's such a unique place. And I feel like there's re- not really, there's no one aspect of it that I can really pinpoint at this point. Other than the camels. Um, and wonderful students, which uh, sounds kind of cliche, but. Man, some of the students I teach, especially the really little ones, they're they're good kids. They're they're always funny when they see you and they smile at you, say hi. And it's never just it's never hi, hello, how are you? Hi. It's always hi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just carries throughout the hallway or the whole village. Yeah, very very sing-songy in nature. Yeah. I mean, they probably learned it from me because the first time I met them, I was probably nervous and thinking, uh, hi. So they hear that, they hear that and they think, oh, hi. And that's how that word has evolved (laughs) Uh, in this particular spot in the world. Yeah. Well, you, it seems like you're, you really enjoy teaching and you've enjoyed your time teaching, uh, 
Is that something that maybe you're thinking of doing post Peace Corps, uh, become becoming a teacher, pursuing that in in some respect, or what are you what are you thinking? You know, you've you've been there for a little bit. How do you feel that Peace Corps is maybe changing what you're going to be doing next? <laughs> okay, so I enjoy teaching the young kids. Once it gets up to seventh grade, eh. (laughs) so if I were to teach, it would definitely be fifth grade or below. Um, There were points where I considered looking into teaching for my future, but to be honest with you, I would say it it might not be in my future beyond tutoring. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was something that actually contributed to my depression. Um, but luckily I talked to, I actually talked to the girl from, um, I'm not going to say where she's from, but that's her business to say, but she told me, yeah, I don't think I'm going to teach either. And I I said, me too. Oh my God, I'm not alone. So yes, definitely call people in the Peace Corps. You need that interaction. Those Mm -hmm. me too moments are great, Mm -hmm. but yeah, no teaching. I'm not. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm glad I'm doing it. I'm glad I've tried it at least. And, and yeah, and that's that's what it's all about. That you you go there, you do it, and you figure out uh okay, I definitely uh don't like this <laughs> this stuff over here. Yeah. Um I really like this, so like okay, maybe I'll pursue this other thing as a career or experience or at least kind of the the general vibe or mentality try to find Find a career that replicates some of those stuff that you really enjoy and that resonates with your your personality and your skill set. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. an eye opener for sure. Mm-hmm. And then I guess in in that same light, uh, what what have you learned uh, since being a Peace Corps volunteer? So one thing. Uh, especially unique to me is I'm, well, not necessarily just to me. So I was the youngest in my entire extended family for, I think, first 11 years until my cousins started having their own babies. And like I said, I grew up in a small town. I was surrounded by, you know, family members this way and that in town, on farms outside of town. And as the youngest by a number of years, I was, you know, the baby for the longest time. I was you know, the butt of my older cousin's jokes and pranks for the longest time. And that would have contributed probably to my anxiety and to a point my depression because I never really experienced, you know, even as an adult, feeling independent. I always felt very much reliant on those who were older than me because that's what I had been used to for most of my youth but in Peace Corps you don't have mom and dad you don't have big brother or you know your big older cousin that you that always helped you out and so I had to learn that I do have to make decisions for myself and I do have to start things for myself And I hated admitting that to myself as an adult because to me it was something that was embarrassing and frustrating, but it was a necessity. And so, yeah, I've essentially finally learned that, yeah, I do. I am in charge of my life because I did not feel that I was in charge for a very long time, even as an adult with a job and a degree. 
Uh, well, that is a one a great lesson to learn, and the lessons like that, yeah, they do surprise you. Of you, you don't realize what you're going to learn in Peace Course. I think that is a perfect response to that question. Well, I've I've really enjoyed uh, this interview, talking to you, learning a little bit more about. Mongolia, being a teacher, serving just on the on the edge or the the northern part of uh, the Gobi Desert. Um, it's the edge. You can call it the edge. <laughs> the, the edge, the edge. Yeah, uh, I think the the conversation that we had about depression and just mental health in the Peace Corps is extremely important and valuable. So thank you for that. Is there is there anything else no you problem. want to share with uh, the listeners of the podcast? Yes. I know that this might have been a pretty heavy um, session, but I want everybody listening to know that it's not that dark. It's not that dark. I promise you. There's, There are low times. There's blue times when you feel blue, when you don't want to get up and interact. But for the most part, Peace Corps is great. So so apply. You should do it. I promise it's, it's, it's good. It's good. <laughs> Uh, I I agree as well. So so thank you for adding uh, that that clarifier qualifier uh, on the end of your episode. Uh, it's been yeah. a pleasure to to close out the episode. Do you have a favorite quote or local saying that you would like to share with us? I wish I had a local saying, but I don't. Um, I do have two favorite quotes that I've used throughout my entire service to get me through the really bad times. The first one that I always thought of was, how do you know how tall you... Oh, no. It goes like this. If you aren't in over your head, how do you know how tall you are? And that I had to think about a lot. Because you will be in over your head many, Mm. many times in Peace Corps. And that's Mm. okay. And the one that I really use a lot now is, don't miss the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. that... And I can say that in Mongolian, actually, if you like. Oh, yeah, I would love that. Don't miss the forest for the trees. In Mongolian, that is... Well, I'm going to have to trust you there because I know zero Mongolian. <laughs> Uh, but, but thank you for sharing those quotes. Thank you for sharing all that you have. It's been a pleasure and enjoy the rest of your service. I will. I definitely plan to. And, you know, thank you for talking to me. Thank you. And there you have another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. Thank you for spending some time with me today, spending a little time with Sherelle and hearing about her service in Mongolia. If you are a current or return Peace Corps volunteer, or maybe you know one who has an awesome story to share, head on over to MyPeaceCorpsStory.com and click one of those Share Your Service buttons and drop me a line. I look forward to hearing from you. If you want to know a little bit more about my personal Peace Corps story, maybe uh, check out my book, Service Disrupted, available on Amazon. Thank you very much, guys. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours? <laughs>